I'm going to introduce our final speaker for the night. Arjun Chahal is a PhD candidate and a cancer geneticist at the University of Melbourne. He re his research utilises the fruit fly to understand the fundamentals of tissue growth and how disruptions to these processes can lead to diseases like cancer. Now, when he isn't getting beat up for his lunch money or looking for his inhaler, uh, you can usually find him watching the mighty Geelong cats or grooming his beard while claiming it just grows like that. <laughs> he current, I don't understand this, but I'm sure someone in the room will. He currently has an impact factor of minus one. Please welcome Arjun. Thank you. Oh, how are we going tonight? Good, work the room. Okay, that's, that's ticked <laughs> off the list. Um, let's get it going. Um, what is the scariest diagnosis you can hear when you go to a doctor? Parkinson's? MS? Stage four cancer? A wrong, it's impotence. <laughs> impotence is the worst thing you could possibly hear because there is no known substance more delicate than the male psyche concerning his secondary brain. <laughs> I, for one, have never known the scourge of impotence. Truly ask any one of your parents. Yes, I use the non-gender specific term parents, not only because I clearly hunger for human affection from anyone, regardless of gender, but also because this is Brunswick in 2017 and I'm not above politicizing my talk for cheap cheers. Vote yes. Okay, good. If that didn't work, this was just really gonna fall flat, so. Ah, conditions affecting one's ability to reproduce, which is our only purpose in life, according to Genesis, uh, have always been a source of great shame and embarrassment to the afflicted throughout history. Even now, when we can understand the mental and physiological causes underlying infertility and impotence, people will pay any amount or undergo any kind of treatment to fix themselves. This desperation can make people extremely vulnerable to quacks and charlatans. The golden age of charlatans undoubtedly starts in the early 19th century, where Americans, as they are so wont to do, took it way too far. In scenes reminiscent of the French Revolution, the educated elite, doctors, lawyers, and preachers are overthrown by the celebration of the common man. Equality and justice for all was being used as an all-encompassing excuse to do what you feel like, akin to Randy Marsh's, I'm sorry, I thought this was America, excuse. Uh, to give you an idea, all but three states had repealed licensing requirements for practicing medicine, meaning anyone could masquerade as a learned doctor much like a liberal arts PhD. Ooh. Oh, he went there. Uh, uh, one such man was John Romulus Brinkley, born in Jackson County, North Carolina, on July 8, 1885. Growing up with very, little, with very little in an isolated backwater, young Brinkley had dreams of changing the world. His schooling consisted of three to four months school years held every winter, and at the age of 16, he finished his studies and found work ferrying mail between neighboring towns while also working the telegraph. However, by this age, Brinkley had his sights firmly set on his preferred, 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 on his preferred profession. He wanted to be a doctor, or just learn how to talk properly, apparently. Um, I won't go into all the details of the jobs Brinkley held before he became a doctor, they include traveling salesman, telegraph operator, failed medical student, professional drunk, unattentive husband, and kidnapping father. But by 1912, unable to afford his last year of medical school, Brinkley eventually purchased a certificate from a shady diploma mill called the Kansas City Eclectical Medical University and set up business in Greenville, South Carolina, 
with James E. Crawford, who for some weird reason was using the much cooler moniker in his view, J.W. Burks. I just don't understand if you were gonna have a moniker, why you pick such a shit one. Um, you could be anything, literally anything. Um, so they set up the Greenville Electromedic Doctors and these guys treated men who had problems with their manly vigor by injecting them in their backsides with German electrical medicine, AKA colored water, at the cost of $25 a pop. Now remember, this was 1912, so that's roughly $600 in present day value. Um, after a few months, they left town with a lengthy list of unpaid debts, escaping to Memphis, Tennessee, where Brinkley would meet his second wife and the love of his life, Minerva Minnie Jones. After a whirlwind four-day relationship, they were married um, and went on their honeymoon, where Brinkley was subsequently arrested for fraud and extradited back to Greenville. Uh, the charges were settled out of court with Crawford, of the cool name, paying the majority of the debts to the merchants. Unsurprisingly, no men who had problems with their manly vigor had publicly come forward to sue Brinkley. <laughs> Fast forward to 1917. Brinkley had finally saved up enough money to return to medical school and received his diploma, officially becoming a doctor that could practice in eight states. Down to his last few dollars, he took up a position of, t of town doctor in Milford, Kansas, population 2000. Except Milford didn't have a population of 2,000, it had a population of 200. Upon sighting the town, his wife Minnie Brinkley burst into tears. It appeared the Brinkleys' dreams of fame and fortune had already come to a bitter end. They set up their practice in town with John making house calls and Minnie working as a midwife, but they were barely making ends meet. Then one day, a burly 46-year-old farmer named Bill Stitsworth presented at the practice. I'm all in, no pet, I'm a flat tyre. Stitsworth was impotent. Brinkley, probably mindful of the fact that he was in Milford for the long haul, suggested several expensive treatments, but really stressed that there was no known cure for impotence. At the end of his spiel, they both gazed out the window, lost in that awkward silence men still have when talking about reproductive health. <laughs> Catching sight of a billy goat grazing in a field, Stiffworth sighed and said, too bad I don't have billy goat nuts. Now I know what you guys are thinking, where this is gonna go, it's exactly what you're thinking. Accounts differ on what happened. I like to think it went something like this. I really, really wish I had Billy Goat Nuts. Yep. I just really wish there was someone with the medical know-how of how to put Billy Goat Nuts inside of me. Mmm. Please put Billy Goat Testicles inside of me. Okay, I'll do it. So, you know, there's a lot of, there's no one really knows what happened. Um, depending if you ask John Brinkley's family, Stithworth cajoled and implored Brinkley to do the surgery, offered to pay him. Brinkley ummed and ahed and eventually agreed. If you talk to Stithworth's family, they insist Brinkley bribed the man. Whatever the case, two nights later, Stithworth returned to the Brinkley practice under the cover of darkness. Lying on the operating table, he watched Brinkley enter, reverently holding a tray with two goat testicles resting in cotton. Brinkley injected the anaesthetic and 15 minutes later, the operation was done. Uh, we're not sure which procedure Brinkley used. Later observation on his work said sometimes the goat testicle was minced like garlic before being inserted, while other times it was embedded in the man's testicle like a marble in an apple. Um, my favorite description has to be sometimes the operation was no more complex than throwing gifts into a Christmas stocking. <laughs> Whatever the procedure, money changed hands and the farmer left. Heart heavy with anticipation. It's, it's all dick and ball jokes, guys, so just strap yourselves in. Um, heart heavy with anticipation, Brinkley went about his business for two more weeks before Stitworth returned, a huge smile on his face. The treatment had worked. 
With the benefit of hindsight and an extra century of medical knowledge, we now know that the treatment was most likely a placebo effect and Stiblett's problems were all mental. However, at the time, gland therapy was all the rage. The field of endocrinology, the study of hormones, was in its infancy, which just meant people were more likely to do really weird, messed up shit. Um, doctors were injecting themselves with emulsions of dog and guinea pig testicle and claiming that they had reclaimed not only their sexual potency, but a power of defecation they had almost forgotten. <laughs> um, some took these steps even further, taking whole testicles from young lambs and implanting them into old rams, observing their hair thicken and their sex drive reappear. The best story, however, belongs to Dr. G. Frank Linston, a professor of... Uh, fuck, how do you say that word? Genitourinary? He, he does surgery on your bits where you wee from. Um, at the University of Illinois and is recounted by, Doris Mock, uh, by Dr. Morris Fishbein, a recently graduated doctor working for the American Medical Association. Um, Fishbein makes an appearance later on as well, so remember that name while I flick to this horribly made thing that I have. Um, anyway, recently graduated doctor working for the American Medical Association. Fishbein bumps into uh, Dr. Linston on the street and says, I'm quoting from Charlatan by Pope Brock, which I read several days ago. Um, we chatted a moment, Fishbein recalled, and then he said, put your hand in here and feel, which is always just a warning sign. Um, he had opened his coat and shirt and he directed my hand to the side of his ribs. On each side, I felt six or more nodules. I asked him what they were. Testicles, he said. In an effort to rejuvenate himself, he had transplanted under his skin testicular tissue obtained from bodies, not any bodies, criminal bodies, from San Quentin Jail. <sighs> That's so fucked up. <sighs> Back in Milford, um, word had spread about Brinkley's magnificent treatment and both men and women were coming in their droves um, to get the goat gland operation. You could actually go out into the back of Brinkley's house and like at a restaurant where you pick your fish, you could pick whichever goat seemed to suit your temperament the best. Um, Brinkley opened up a 16-room clinic in Milford that charged patients $750 or $9,000 in current value per operation. Um, despite being drunk most of the time and having unsanitary working conditions that caused multiple infections and fatalities, Brinkley's fame continued to rise and his operations expanded with trainloads of patients arriving daily. Such was his importance that when a grand jury in California issued a warrant for his arrest, the governor of Kansas refused to extradite him simply because he made the state too much money. Um, despite all his fame and wealth, Brinkley wanted more. A chance encounter with a radio station owner planted a seed in his mind. Brinkley would start his own radio station. After being granted a license for a thousand watt transmitter, Brinkley created his own radio station which acted to not only advertise his hospital and big himself and his procedure up in a Trump-like fashion, but also helped expand his business by starting a segment called Medical Question Box. People who couldn't make the trip to Milford or could not afford the $750 goat gland operation, because remember, this fixed everything from obesity to acne to diabetes to hysteria to impotence. It was a complete cure-all. Um, people who couldn't afford it would ride in with their ailments and using nothing but his extensive medical expertise, frankly, would diagnose their problems and send them off to the local pharmacy to buy his licensed medicine. Flatulence, Brinkley tonic number 45 will do the trick. Headaches, Brinkley number 32 and 27, three times a day for the next year. Why would people really care? I mean, why would you want all your dirty laundry aired for hundreds of people to hear? Or thousands, I don't know, like a lot of people to hear, right? Um, with Prohibition and Puritans being all the rage, the few radio stations that were in existence were broadcasting religious readings and texts. Brinkley, very smartly, employed country musicians to play on his show, making himself and his station very popular. Um, his, charitable do 
His charitable donations to the town of Milford did nothing to dull this reputation. He upgraded their sewage works, installed sidewalks and electrical lights, and sponsored their local baseball team, the Brinkley Goats. His failed attempt to start a zoo... I don't think they provided any testicles, but you never know. It's pretty messed up. Uh, his failed attempt to start a zoo ended when he shot the bear he had purchased as its centrepiece for making too much noise. Um, but he and the townspeople, you know, while they got on quite well, they didn't see eye to eye on one point. Brinkley wanted the new church he funded to bear his name for, and I quote, Jesus did not build the church, so why should his name be on it? Uh, I think it really gives you an insight into what this guy was all about. He ended up settling for a small plaque given thanks to God, Jesus, and Dr. J.R. Brinkley. Um, eventually, Brinkley's charmed good luck came to an end. Under the weight of pressure from the AMA and the malpractice lawsuits piling up against him, Brinkley had his medical and radio broadcasting licenses revoked within days of each other. So what was he to do? The choice was quite obvious. He would run for the governor of Kansas, despite it being only five weeks out from the election. Brinkley's huge grassroots support almost carried him straight into the governor's office, except for the fact that less than a week out from the, the election, the state attorney, scared about what could happen if Brinkley became the governor, amended the law to state that write-in votes had to have John R. Brinkley spelt correctly for the votes to be counted. And remember, all of Brinkley's supposed supporters were all illiterate farm people, so that was what they were banking on happening. Surprisingly, Brinkley only lost by 30,000 votes, and accounts say that 30 to 50,000 votes for Brinkley were actually deemed invalid by not having the right spelling. So it could have gone a very different way. So now, Brinkley, out of a job, no legal way to practice medicine or broadcast his show in America, not the governor, what could he do? He turned to an age-old solution and ran away to Mexico. Well, not quite Mexico, to a small town in Texas right on the border called Del Rio. With the aid of the Mex Mexican government and a very lax position towards safety or rational thinking, um, he had a one million watt transmitting tower built just across the border. The station was so powerful that it turned on car headlights, made bed springs hum, and caused broadcasts to bleed into telephone conversations. <laughs> Rumour had it that on clear days a signal could be picked up in Canada and that Soviet spies used these transmissions to learn English. Um, Brinkley would phone into the station from his house in Texas to answer letters and entertain the masses. When the US government, who were by this point really tired of Brinkley's shit, <laughs> got wind of this, they passed the Brinkley Law, making it illegal to broadcast via phone calls. Brinkley simply pre-recorded his show and sent the records across the border. Um, eventually it was Brinkley's ego that was his downfall though. Dora, Dr. Morris Fishbein, the man who touched all those testicles that Dr. Linston had embedded in himself, published a book on quacks and charlatans, which was basically the biggest diss track of 1938. In it, no, thank you, I thought that was pretty good. In it, Fishwine pointed out the obvious holes in Brinkley's qualifications, along with the hundreds of pe people he had maimed or killed. Fishbein was everything Brinkley was not. Short, potato-shaped, balding and soft-spoken. But being a champion of science over pseudoscience, Fishbein had been Brinkley's nemesis throughout the years, leading many of the lawsuits against him. Brinkley, enraged with all the times he would have gotten away with it if not for that meddling Jew, thought he had finally won. He would sue Fishbein for libel. However, there was one problem with this case. It's only libel if it's not true. <laughs> Despite days of answering questions cool as a cucumber, Brinkley was brought undone by a single question. Do you measure your doses for your tonics by weight or by volume? Brinkley stared out the window at length, presumably with the same look of guilt your dog has when you ask it who has been shitting in the house. <laughs> And after a time, he just replied, I'm not sure. It was the end of him. He was found guilty of indeed being a quack and a charlatan. 
Um, and in the end, it was a devastating ruling. Brinkley would eventually file for bankruptcy and die a pauper. There is no doubt Brinkley was a villain. He sold false hope and stole from those who were in desperate need for a treatment that didn't work, along with maiming and killing countless numbers of people, thousands really, who trusted him with their medical um, well-being. Sadly, this story doesn't seem as out of place as it should be nearly a century later. What this story does do, however, is highlight the importance of scientific rigour over sensationalism. This talk was about Brinkley, but really it's also celebrating Fishbein, the unsexy scientist who, if he worked today, would be that dude sporting a fashionable jika, jeans with sneakers combination, and a bowl haircut. Now more so than ever is Morris Fishbein's work really needed. Thank you.